Hey guys, welcome to our public podcast. My name is Todd, and I wanted to let you know about an exciting change. On March 17th, we are shifting our gathering times to 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 4 p.m. We believe this will allow more people, especially families, to attend our 4 p.m. gathering, which positions us for growth now and sets us up for four gatherings in the future. And the heart of this change is to create room for more people to be changed by Jesus. So spread the word, March 17th, new times of 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 4 p.m. And thank you for being a part of our podcast audience. And we hope that you are challenged and changed by today's talk. I love when we can declare how faithful and worthy Jesus is from the very start of our gatherings. That's got to be a good start, right? And look, if you're here and you're not familiar with us or maybe you don't follow Jesus, one of our strategies is to make Jesus the main attraction. So we hope that in those two songs and hosting that you were able to see that from the very beginning because everything we do is to invite each of us to embrace the journey of following Jesus. So that means if you don't follow him, to take that first step. And for those of us who do follow him, to take the next step. And and our songs that we sing are just a huge part of extending that invitation. And so I actually want to lead us in a simple chorus this morning. You know, I didn't tell Cody about this. Cody's our worship pastor because I don't want him to stop me, quite frankly. Um, You know, he and his team are incredible. They get to lead songs all the time, and I just get left out, and all I get to do is speak, and, you know, sometimes I get jealous. So we're actually going to just sing a little chorus together, but here's the context of this chorus we're going to sing. It all hinges on an event that happened just up the road in Murfreesboro yesterday. Anybody know something that went down in Murfreesboro? State champs, the Bradley Central Barrettes, okay? Come on, people. If you're local, you should know this. They won the state tournament for the first time since 1976. If you're not good at math, you're too sleepy to do math. That's 43 years, people. This is a huge deal. We'll talk about how they won just a little bit later. So this is a little local course that's going to be on the screen. Um, You know, it's just such a a, a moving thing that I'd love for us to sing. I think I've got the lyrics, maybe. in just a minute. Okay. So we there we go. Here's the lyrics. All right. Legendary local chorus. So it's real simple. All right. You just repeat this over and over again and you get louder and sound worse. Everybody good with that? All right. So uh, let's try it. I said it's great to be a Bradley Bear. I said it's great to be, one more time, a Bradley Bear. Come on, John. I said it's great to be a Bradley Bear. Yeah. Thank you, John and Courtney, head coach of Cleveland soccer. That was for you, John. Dedicating that to you. Thanks for being here. Next year, he's starting his spring break trip a day early. Now you're like, why in the world do we mention that? Look, we're a family, and when families do something, especially it's once in a lifetime, you celebrate it, right? And some of our family are, are part of the Barrettes. In fact, Kaylee Hughes, if you're a parent or a Sprouts volunteer, you may know her. She serves faithfully in Sprouts with our babies and little ones. She opened up the semifinals and the finals with a three just to set the tone both nights and just a leader, selfless, four-year starter. And so we celebrate Kaylee and Coach Reuter and the whole Barrett's family, and they're part of our family. So we just wanted to take a moment and say, man, that's like once, once in 43 years. That's kind of once in a lifetime. And so we are just thrilled about that. And so today, though, is a really special Sunday, not just because Bradley won state. And I just want to fill you in. If you don't know why it's so special, first of all, it's special because today is the culmination of all things spring break. We like to call this Spring Break Sunday. Um, That means that Lee University Spring Break is ending, and today really marks the start of Cleveland and Bradley Spring Break beginning, which means a whole lot of people are on the beach 
and a whole lot of us are wondering why we don't teach, okay? That's what this day means. <clears throat> and then, this day is also really special because it's not only spring break Sunday, it's spring forward Sunday, which means we're more frustrated than normal that we're not on a beach. We're thinking about changing our careers to education, and overall, we're just on edge due to not getting a, enough sleep. Anybody with me? Was anybody disciplined enough to go to bed an hour early? Who? Alex. Can we give it up for Alex? Come on. Man. That, that's, you, you, yeah, I, I don't really, I didn't expect that, so I've got nothing. <laughs> nothing planned for that. Um, but here's the thing. These combination of factors, a lot of people would call this an off Sunday. Sunday that doesn't really matter. There's not going to be a lot of people here. Look, we wholeheartedly reject that mindset. And we relabel this a special Sunday because we believe that any opportunity we have to gather together and focus on the name of Jesus is special. And any time we get a chance to come together represents an opportunity for Jesus to change lives. And we got to be careful because that could just be us. We may walk in thinking, yeah, I hope you get changed. No, no, he wants to change us today. So we're fired up about spring break and spring forward Sunday because we believe Jesus wants to literally change the trajectory of some of our lives and really even our eternities by our topic today. And what we're talking about impacts every single one of us on some level. And it's simply this, anxiety. Or maybe the term that you would think of is worry. Now, there are definitely differences between these two issues. Um, quick Google searches and some research will reveal this. And so basically distinguishing Mark is that anxiety often interrupts our professional and personal functions, whereas worry is something that we can usually just manage um, from day to day. And worry tends to be more specific. Anxiety often tends to just kind of infringe on a whole lot of different areas of our lives. But today, we're really using the term anxiety as a big umbrella that says, Everything from the little worry that takes up 15 seconds of our times all the way to anxiety disorders, we want to talk about those today. So I encourage us to think about where our struggle is, because we all have a struggle somewhere on that scale, and let's apply what we're discussing to our personal struggles with anxiety or worry or what's probably the tr case for most of us, which is both. Now, if you just do a little bit of research, you understand that anxiety is on the rise among Americans. And I read an article from May of 2018. It's less than a year ago. It actually, the research was done March 23rd through March 25th of 2018. So they're gonna be doing more research in just a few weeks to come out with 2019's article. It was by the American Psychiatric Association. And here's what they said. 39% of participants said that they are ex experienced more anxious thoughts in 2018 than in 2017. Back that up. In 2017, 36% of participants said they experienced more anxious thoughts than in 2016. Here's what that means. For the past two years of this study, over one-third of Americans have said, yes, my anxiety is on the rise. And this increase in anxiety was reported across all ages, ethnicities, between men and women. They found that millennials are the most anxious, but last year, baby boomers had the highest jump with a 7% increase. Our areas of anxiety are the top five are, are not really surprising. Top three would be health, safety, finances. The other two that rounded out are politics and relationships. The article said, you know, you might think that we'd be able to find some comfort in relationships, but 48% of people said no relationships caused them to worry. 
And so wherever we turn, we seem to be faced with more worry. And so the article just simply says, there are no quick fixes to any of this. And if you teach middle school and high school and you're not on spring break yet, if you spend any time with middle school and high school students, if you read any articles about them, you understand they are not immune, but anxiety is on the rise among them too. And we can talk about stats all day long, but let's just be blunt and ask the question, what is creating anxiety for us and what are we worried about? So think about those two questions. What is creating anxiety for us and what are we worried about? So middle school and high school students, college students, young professionals, married with kids, married without kids, single and never married, divorced, widowed, starting your career or retired, what's creating anxiety for you and what are you worried about? Because this issue affects every single one of us on some level. One more just mention of statistics before we go further. In 2014, Amazon released that people that read the Bible electronically, they released the most highlighted Bible verse in 2014. So that's five years ago. It was Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which starts out and simply says, stop worrying, don't be anxious. So that's what people are highlighting more than anything else. You go, okay, well, what about in the five years since? Well, in 2018, so that would be four years later, YouVersion, which is an incredible Bible app. If you don't have a Bible, I highly recommend download the YouVersion Bible app for your phone. That, it's always on your phone. I mean, it's just an incredible resource. But YouVersion said the most highlighted Bible verse in 2018 was Isaiah 41.10, which starts out and says, do not fear. Now, is there a difference between worry and anxiety and fear? Yes, we can get in the nuances of all of them, but we're in the same lane. Four years later, we're still struggling with this issue. So what we wanna do this morning is we wanna actually dig into 2014's most highlighted verse into Philippians 4, 6, and 7 and look at the verses that surround it. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, we're gonna be in Philippians 4. You can go there. If you don't have that, it's gonna be on the screen because we wanna make it easy for you to follow along as well. And here's what Jesus is offering for us today. He's offering for us an anchor in the storm of anxiety. If you're taking notes, this is the big idea, that Jesus is offering us an anchor in the storm of anxiety. And come on, let's be real. It's a storm, isn't it? Worry, anxiety, it rattles us. We feel tossed, we feel unsettled. It messes with our equilibrium in all areas of life. And so Jesus is gonna offer us through Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine, an anchor in this storm. This particular letter of Philippians, it's written by Paul, a leader in the early Jesus movement, to a church in Philippi. And look, he knows about adversity. And so we're gonna talk about that in a few minutes, why he does. But here's one of the reasons he's writing to this group. Because here's some things that it's very likely, based on reading this letter, that they're facing. They're facing depression, harshness of spirit, anxiety, a failure to take prayer seriously, troubled minds, minds filled with all kinds of worry and wrong. Wait, are we describing the church in Philippi or us? That sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? So this passage, even though it was written over 2,000 years ago to this particular church, still has tremendous implications for us today. And for those people back then and for us this morning, Jesus is offering this text to us as an anchor in the storm of anxiety. Now, before we dive in, there's one thing that's huge that we must be on the same page about. We recognize that anxiety is a disease. 
And guess how we usually treat diseases? By going to a doctor and often by getting medicine, correct? Sadly, especially in the church, sometimes people say you either seek Jesus or you go get medical help. They make it an either or. It's not an either or. This is a both and. The invitation for us today is to say, hey, go see a counselor. If that person is licensed and they prescribe you medicine, take the medicine for crying out loud. Let's use the medical resources that we have because God has gifted people to get into those fields and explore and create advances for our benefit. And let's run to Jesus. And let's have an anchor in the storm of adversity in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And for me personally, I have a counselor, Dr. Mark Walmack. And it's been a while since I've gone to see him, but I got to go see him last year as a checkup. I plan on going to see him at some point this year, just a checkup, because I mean, think about it. We go get physical health checkups. Why wouldn't we get mental health checkups, right? And in addition, I mean, if something happened, if I needed him, I could call him and, and go see him at any point. He is a resource. So look, we are saying anxiety is a disease. Let's treat it from all facets, but let's make sure we don't leave out Jesus and what he wants to speak into our worry through this passage. So we're gonna begin in verse four. Seems like a weird place to begin we're talking about worry based on what Paul writes. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And I read that and I'm like, dude, you can't be serious. And then I dig into it and I'm like, okay, well he said always, which that's the kicker. Like we can all have joy momentarily, right? But to have joy always, that's, that's impossible. So the nice part is if you dig into it, the second half of the verse, he leaves out always, so we don't have to apply it, do we? No, we do. He's saying in every situation that joy should be a pervading emotion characteristic of our lives. Like, Paul, what gives you the ability to write this? Maybe the fact that he pens this letter while chained to a guard 24-7 in prison. He has some authority to say, rejoice in the Lord always because he knows about adversity. He knows about reasons to worry. And here's what he wants us to know right from the top, that joy and worry are incompatible because anxiety simply drowns out joy. And we all know that's to be true. So as he begins to get into this whole idea of worry and anxious thoughts, he starts by saying, hey, we also got to recognize that there's an alternative, that we've got to rejoice. He goes on, and it seems like it's even more ridiculous in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Now, if you're reading different translations, you, the term for reasonableness may have been considerate, gentleness. The actual word is magnanimity. Yeah, I'll try to say that three times fast. That is extremely hard, though, to translate from the original language. And so, there's all these different translations out there, but most of us don't really understand what Paul's trying to get at. And, and that's kind of tragic because he's saying, look, this quality I'm talking about is so important that we've got to make sure it's evident and known to everyone. So what in the world is he talking about? Here's what reasonableness is. It's a generous treatment of others. A statement to help us think about it is this. We take less than we deserve for their benefit. Wow. That's a high standard, isn't it? He says, let your generous treatment of others be made known to all. And at any point in our interactions of others, if our rights, if justice allows us to press further in a place that's gonna harm them, 
we stop. And we say, I'm gonna take less than I deserve in order to love and to benefit you. Woo! He's just tough. He's telling us two impossible things right off the bat, but he wants us to know this quality is really hard to display if we're filled with worry. Because this quality requires an others before me mentality, but anxiety produces a me before you mindset. See, if we're talking about a generous treatment of others, serving is a driving force by this idea that we take less than we deserve for their benefit. But self-preservation is a driving force of worry, isn't it? That as we think about worry, who are we consumed with? Not you, not your benefit. All I'm worried about is me and my situation. I love how the message puts this first. It's another translation. It says this, and it'll be on the screen for us. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Paul says this is absolutely huge. And think about it. When we take less than we deserve for the benefit of someone else, they know that we're on their side, don't they? And really, it's so hard to do this when we're consumed with anxiety and worry. So Paul starts out and he says, hey, here's two impossible things. Rejoice, always. Take less than you deserve just because you want the other person to be benefited. And so I think we're left with the question, uh, excuse me, Paul, how? And so the last part of verse five is a game changer. He says, the Lord is at hand. He wants us to know, look, his presence is here and the Lord is near. And with this phrase, Paul's communicating that reasons for anxiety are guaranteed, but so is God's presence. That in our lives, reasons for anxiety are guaranteed. We're always gonna have them. But guess what else is guaranteed? God's presence. That the Lord is near. His presence is here. And Paul's trying to communicate to us that we feel like anxiety surrounds us, but Jesus surrounds us. We let worry fill us, but Jesus' spirit wants to fill us instead. It's about our awareness. Do we even realize that Jesus is there offering us this anchor in the storm of adversity? And then he's gonna go on to help us begin to think about how can we be more aware that God is near? How can we be more aware that he's offering us this anchor in the midst of this raging storm being tossed and rattled and seeming like we're upside down all the time? How can we know? Well, first off, we, we can't let the verse divisions mess us up because the sentence actually begins at the end of verse five and continues through verse six, but we often just go, oh, verse five, bloop, Okay, it's over here. Now to verse six. No, we've got to take it together. So the last part of verse five is the beginning of the sentence. It says, the Lord is at hand. Same sentence, do not be anxious about anything. Why can we rejoice always? Why can we have a gentle consideration towards others where we take less than we deserve for their own benefit? Why can we, this literally means just stop worrying. So Paul writes, stop it. He said, you are here, stop right now. That's crazy. Why can we say that? Because God is here. And he wants us 
to realize that. And so what is worry? What is he talking about here? It's this whole idea that we're attempting to carry burdens of the future. We're attempting to carry unreasonable burdens and unreasonable anxiety all on our own. And look, we all have reasons to worry. Paul himself is in prison, chained to someone. Who knows when he's gonna get out? He doesn't know at this point. The Philippians that he's writing to, they're threatened by persecutions. But he doesn't say, hey, if you're in prison, then you can worry. Hey, if somebody's coming to persecute you, then you can worry. Hey, if you just lost your job, hey, if your marriage is struggling, hey, if your kids are going crazy, hey, if you're facing an illness, hey, if you're this, if you're this, if you're this, then you don't have to, you can just go ahead and worry, I understand. No, no, he says, stop. Stop worrying because Jesus is here. Woo, it's tough though, isn't it? Thankfully, the passage doesn't end there. Now he's gonna tell us how we can not worry. If you look at the rest of the verse, he says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here's what he says. We need to release anxiety through prayer. He invites us. He's like, hey, since Jesus is here, what if instead of holding tight to issues, because that's what anxiety and worry is, isn't it? I've got this, I'm controlling this, every solution must be rooted and found and come through me. What if instead we said, here, I'm gonna release my anxiety. I'm gonna release my worry through prayer so that now I'm not the only source of my solutions, but now the unrivaled God of the universe is the source of my solutions. And I've gotten way outside of me. See, prayer is the antidote to worry. And he wants us to realize that. And and a question you may ask is, okay, well, if God's God and he knows everything, why do we have to make our request known? If you go back and look at that verse, it says, hey, tell your request to God, because he wants to know us. Yes, he knows everything, but he wants to have a personal relationship with us where we come to him and instead of carrying everything around and being so uptight that we can go, will you take this, God? He wants to have that kind of personal interaction and handoff from us. And that's why in verse six, if we go back to it, he gives us three synonyms, words that basically mean the same thing because he's like, please get this. The three synonyms are prayer, supplication, request. In other words, he says, would you pray? And then would you pray? And then would you pray? He's like, this is how we release anxiety. It's through prayer. So pray and pray and pray. But then he drops a bomb with this word, with thanksgiving. See, if we wanna talk about the beginning of the end of anxiety, here's what we need to know. The beginning of the end of anxiety is the start of praise. When we begin to praise, when we begin to respond with thanksgiving, adversity gets, excuse me, anxiety gets worried. (laughs) It gets worried because it knows that if praise is happening, if thanksgiving is occurring, it's about to get kicked on out the door. The beginning of the end of anxiety is the start of our praise. And you're like, well, why in the world is that? Because in anxiety, here's what happens. We suffer, we groan, we bear the weight of the world. But when we begin to pray and thank God for who he is, here's what we're reminded of, that he suffered, he groaned, 
He bore the weight of the world on the cross. And then we respond with praising him because we know if he could carry the weight of the world on the cross, then he can carry our anxiety too. See, what happens is we release anxiety through prayer. We're reminded of the size of our God, and then we begin to compare that to the size of our worry. Because in the moment of worry, what's the biggest thing in our life? Worry. Whatever it is, it's all-consuming. It's in your face. You can't see past it. That's the biggest thing. Nothing's bigger. But all of a sudden, we think about what Jesus did on the cross. We think about the fact that death couldn't hold him down. We think about the fact that he walked out of the grave and conquered it, saying, look, everything submits to me. When we think about his power, all of a sudden we're reminded that he is so big. And what does our worry do? It begins to shrink back to its actual size. There's a song on Passion's new album. Maybe for some of you, it's downloading the song, beginning to listen to it. I've been listening to it a lot lately, and it's called Bigger Than I Thought You Were. The beginning of the chorus simply says this, so I throw all my cares before you. My doubts and fears don't scare you. You're bigger than I thought you were. Isn't that what we need to be reminded of? That he's bigger than we thought he was. Because when worry gets in our face, we lose sight of how big he is. So we need you to admit it. I forgot, God but you're actually bigger than I thought you were. And now I'm being recentered on that. And then the bridge of that song just says, I will rest in the Father's hands, leave the rest in the Father's hands. You see what they did there? That's good songwriting. It said, I will rest in the Father's hands. I'm gonna leave the rest in the Father's hands. We can only do that when we're reminded that he's bigger than we thought he was. And we're only gonna be reminded of how big he is if we begin to pray. And then we begin to let him recenter our minds on everything he's done through the cross and resurrection and thankfulness overflows. See, in this passage, Paul isn't making light of the Philippians' troubles. He's not making light of his own troubles. He's not minimizing our troubles. He's just reminding us that God is greater than our troubles. And he says, Look, if we will pray, here's what's gonna happen. Verse seven, and, look, that word, that word simply means as a result. It means we pray first and then this happens. Here's what happens. We get peace. But again, before we read this, we don't get the peace without the prayer. We must start with the prayer. And when we pray, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This verse is telling us what only God can do. Look, we cannot manufacture this peace. We can't produce it in a factory. We can't come up with it on our own. Like this can only come from God. And the type of peace he's talking about that God offers us is this peace. It's a calm serenity that really characterizes God's very being. It's this mindset that, man, God's working everything out for his glory, my good, so I'm gonna trust him. For, for us, and especially if you like sports, and I'm thinking about the girls' state championship game yesterday, athletes actually, great athletes, clutch athletes, have this type of mindset in their sport. Now, their mindset is, I've trained for this, so I've got this. So think about how the Barrettes won in the semifinals. 
the MVP of the whole tournament. They're, they're down by two in regulation, and she just takes the ball, gets double teamed, drives the hoop, lays it up. Let's go to overtime, girls. Come on, let's go. I mean, this is what we do. I've trained for this. I've got this, and she just executes. And in the state finals yesterday, the MVP, she's got the ball, and she executes the play. She dishes out to a senior. Senior hasn't hit a basket all night. Hasn't scored a single basket the whole night, but hey, I've trained for this, I've got this, hits a three, pandemonium, they win the state title. But it's this calmness in that moment that I've trained for this, I've got this. Here's how this translates to us as Jesus followers. Our mindset isn't, I've trained for this, I've got this, it's I've prayed for this, God's got this. That's the peace we're talking about. I've prayed for this, God's got this. And I can trust him because here's what he's gonna do. He's going to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Philippi was a Roman military outpost. So they're like, oh, got this, this is awesome. We may not understand. Here's what he's talking about. This is an incredible word picture that Paul is painting here. He's talking about this image of a group, a garrison of soldiers, literally just standing guard and protecting this area. Here's what he's telling us, that God's peace is gonna protect us. It's gonna literally set up a guard around where we're most vulnerable. And come on, where are we most vulnerable? In here and in here, right? Our hearts and our heads. He says it, our hearts and our minds. That's where we're most vulnerable. So the peace of God is like this group of soldiers that literally sets up a guard around our hearts and minds and says, worry, you can't get in. Anxiety, you can't get in. And we're protected better than the most protected fortress in the entire world. We can't do that on our own. Only God can do that. And this, is, this type of peace is only offered if we are in Christ Jesus. So look, if you're here today and you don't follow Jesus, you can try to apply this, but there's gonna be limits to how much you can apply because you only get the guard of the presence of Jesus if you have surrendered to Jesus. And so if you've not done that, man, today's your day to surrender to Jesus, to recognize that he did die on the cross and rise from the dead and that he's the only one that can offer us an anchor in the storm of anxiety. What a promise that he wants to set up guard over us where we're most vulnerable. And then in Philippians 4.8, Paul has some really practical instructions. He says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about such things. So we release anxiety through prayer, but then here's this point here. We replace anxiety with inspiration. He's saying we replace anxiety with inspiration. And why do we need to replace it? Because if we don't replace it, we're not gonna overcome it. We have to replace it. Look, and we understand this when it comes to eating healthy. Yesterday, I'm at my house and I'm like, you know what I really want for a snack? Like chips and salsa or these little chocolate covered pretzels that are in the cabinet or anything with peanut butter and chocolate. Like, I don't really care. I just want something bad for me. And I probably would have gotten something bad for me except for the fact that Whitney had bought carrots. That was immediately like, oh, carrots. Oh, I'm gonna have to eat the carrots. Cause I started thinking about money and they're gonna go bad. I don't wanna waste the money if they go bad. And then it's just like, I'm just gonna eat the carrots. Okay, I'm just going to, I'm gonna eat the carrots. 
But the only way I said no to the bad food was because I had an alternative. I attempted to replace it, to take away the feeling of hunger. Look, as long as we leave room in our hearts and our minds for worry, it's gonna come in. We've gotta replace it with something. And as strange as this may sound, Paul says, replace it with inspiration. Literally, in the context, he's challenging them, look around. Like, open your eyes in your everyday lives and go on a truth hunt. Look for what's honorable. In fact, Johnny McDaniel used to be the superintendent of Bradley County Schools. Here's how I think he would have said this verse. He said this all the time. Find the good and praise it. This is what he's talking about. He said, let's go on a truth hunt. And we find truth, let's think about that. Let's let truth fill our minds. You know where we find truth? In God's word. We're never gonna replace anxiety with inspiration if we're not spending consistent time in God's word. And then he says, let's go on a hunt for what's honorable. And when we find what's honorable, let's fill our minds with that so that worry and anxiety has no place. Let's think about whatever's just. Let's think about what's pure. Man, if we could just fill our minds with what's pure, we wouldn't have room for other stuff, would we? So let's replace these things. When we find something that's lovely, that's commendable, whenever there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, let's stop our minds and focus on that. In other words, instead of letting worry take us captive, we choose to take our thoughts captive. We're no longer gonna let worry take us captive. Through the power of Jesus in us, we are gonna take our thoughts captive. And just to let you know how this plays out in my life, like I literally have to quote this to myself to then start looking for inspiration because it tells me where to look. It says, hey, where do you need to find inspiration? Whatever's true and honorable and just and pure and go on and go on. So I have to go to God's word and start with truth and then it causes me to look around and be inspired. And then one final verse. In this verse, Paul's gonna land the plane in this whole idea of an anchor in the storm of anxiety. And what he's gonna do is challenge us to take practical action. And I love today's talk because it's so public church. Because what we've gotta do from this point forward can't take place in this room. Like, like he's gonna tell us to do something that we have to leave this gathering, go into the places where we spend our time and apply. And that's what a public church is. What happens in here can never stay in here. It must affect how we live out there. And so Paul's now saying, hey, tomorrow, this afternoon, on Wednesday, he said, this is what I'm talking about now. Here's what we need to do. Verse nine, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What do we practice? Well, Let's look at our anchor in the storm of anxiety. We practice rejoicing always. What do we practice? Verse five, we practice a generous treatment of others where we take less than we deserve for their benefit. What do we practice? We practice releasing anxiety through prayer. What do we practice? We practice replacing worry with inspiration. But then Paul adds a little caveat. He says to his original audience, hey, you've seen all this in me. So what you have learned and received and seen and heard in me, that's what you practice. So the question is, do we have a Paul? Do we have somebody in our life that we can go, ah, you seem to have an anchor in the storm of anxiety, so I'm gonna learn from you. And if you don't, this is where community groups come in. Community groups meet in homes. We've got them in Cleveland, one in Chattanooga. This is where you find a Paul. 
This is where you get in a home throughout the week and you're sitting around and you're observing and you're listening to people and you're asking questions and you're learning from them and you're going, hey, life is terrible for you right now, but you're not losing your mind. Can you tell me what you're doing? Can can you guide me through this? When you see something that you admire in them, when you see them rejoicing always, when you see them saying, you know what, I could take more at work, but that wouldn't benefit her, so I'm gonna make sure that she's benefited more than I am. When you see somebody that's consistently releasing anxiety through prayer, and they're just praying, say, hey, can we talk about prayer? We teach me how to pray. When you see somebody that man is constantly just inspired, and they don't have time to worry because they're finding the good and praising it, hey, hey, can we talk about that? Could, could you teach me? What an opportunity for us to get in community groups and find someone who's already practicing these things so we can imitate them and practice too. This past weekend, um, Whitney and I were just outside D.C. with a a church of a a really good friend of ours, and I thought just the privilege to speak to some students, and it was a great weekend, but before the whole weekend even started, um, we were just meeting together with the leaders there's a young lady named Mariah. I asked her if she cared if I shared this story. She's a college student. And the student, the, the, the student pastor had said, hey, everybody just share a success and a struggle. And so it gets to Mariah's turn, and I'm actually sitting next to her. And so I'm like, okay, what's she going to say? And she says, you know, here's my struggle. This past year I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And then she said, but you know what? That's also my success. So I went to a doctor. I've gotten medicine. I take it consistently. And then she said something that just rocked me, and I hope it rocks you like it did me. She said, and in my small group, there are two people that have had bipolar for years, and they're helping me and teaching me how to cope with it. She doesn't get that if she's not in community. What are you missing because you don't have time for a community group? What are you missing because you're not putting yourself in an environment where you can find someone that God has put there for you that's practicing what you need to practice that you can learn from. Because God had given Mariah an anchor in the storm of anxiety through his word, through people. Man, he wants to do the same for us. So the question that that we're gonna end with, simply this, what is one action? Just one, one action that we need to take as a result of this. If this passage can truly be an anchor in the storm of anxiety, and it can, then what is one thing, here's the question I'm asking, what is one thing I need to practice? Let's just start with one. And I just wanna encourage you guys, as the band's coming up, I know it could be easy to get distracted at this point in the gathering and start looking around, but I encourage you to get your phone, get out your notebook, and literally write down one thing that you need to practice. And I encourage you to not just write that down, but to please like text somebody or make a commitment that after this gathering, you're gonna tell somebody because the one thing that we all have to do is gonna take place outside of this gathering. So let's tell somebody about that. If your one thing is to surrender to Jesus, We're gonna have someone from our prayer team beside this exit door encourage you just to, with courage, walk over and talk to them and ask questions because we cannot get the peace of God that guards us without a relationship 
with Jesus. And then honestly, here's what some of us need to do. We need to memorize Philippians 4, 4 through 9. That's when this passage really became an anchor in my life. When it wasn't something that I had to find in my Bible, it wasn't something that I had to pull up my phone and open my Bible app, but when I could drop anchor at any point. When I'm facing worry and I can just drop anchor, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. When I could drop that anchor at any point, that's when I really began to move forward. As I was thinking about this week, I realized that Jesus was moving in the right direction. Not that I'm there, but I faced a situation this week that I'd faced last year. And last year, I was like, here's the storm of, adver- uh, of anxiety. I'm just like rattled and, and worried. And God, what are you going to do? And I had this plan, and you just threw the plan out the door, and I'm just rattled. And, and then this year, the same basic situation came up. I remember coming home and talking to Whitney and being like, God's got this. And it was that peace that's not from me that I can't manufacture that just I've prayed for this. God's got this. He's bigger than I thought he was. I'm going to trust him. That's what he offers every single one of us. So what is the one thing that I need to practice? Jesus, your word is phenomenal. I just thank you so much for the fact that practically, it it like intersects with the details, with the dirtiness, with the messiness of our life, with our innermost struggles, that you have something to say about it. And you offer hope and an opportunity to change. And so I pray that you would just speak to us even now as we respond, that you would show us (laughs) the one thing we need to do and that we wouldn't forget about it, but we would walk out of this gathering. We would do it. And for the next few moments, I pray that you would just let the songs that we're gonna sing, let just an opportunity to think about your heart and your kindness and your mercy. I pray that you would just let us be filled with inspiration. Let us begin to practice that right now, that we would replace anxiety with inspiration as we sing about you, Jesus.